from the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Featuring musical guest Sting. I am live at the Life is Beautiful Festival in Las Vegas. We'll look at what open-air concerts look like after last October's shooting in Sin City. The Ticketmaster scandal grows, as do the calls for antitrust investigations in Canada, the United States, the EU, and more. Plus, we're giving away a BlackBerry Key 2 smartphone. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Okay, first order of business, the Ticketmaster scalping scandal. Oh, this whole thing is just blowing up. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. I've written something for globalnews.ca, and it's basically reflections on what's happened here. Here's the Coles Notes version of what's going on. A CBC Toronto Star investigation went down to Vegas, which is where I happen to be right now. I'm at the Palms Hotel. An unrelated, on an unrelated visit, by the way. And they found a ticket resellers convention. And at this ticket resellers convention was a booth for a company called Trade Desk. Trade Desk is a division of Ticketmaster. And according to the guy they got on tape and on camera, Trade Desk facilitates bulk purchasing of concert tickets and other event tickets uh, by, we'll call them industrial-grade ticket purchasers. So, um, People with 100 Ticketmaster accounts. Or more. Right? I mean, and I want to I know the straight goods on whether Ticketmaster is going to be policing us using our multiple accounts. Uh, no. I have, I have a gentleman who's got over 200 Ticketmaster.com accounts right into the point of sale sinks his tickets in every day. Like how, how many brokers are using multiple accounts? I'd say pretty damn near every one of them. How else would you do it? Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't think of any of my clients that aren't using multiple. I mean, they have to because you want to get a good show at the ticket limits six or eight. You're not going to make a living on eight, eight tickets. And they buy up all these tickets, and then they immediately put them on the secondary market and sell them for for big markups. Now, the thing about Trade Desk is that they kind of turn a blind eye to how these guys get all these tickets, and they also make it very simple for them to automatically repost the tickets that they purchase from Ticketmaster on the secondary sites almost instantaneously. So, you wait a minute. You're telling me Ticketmaster helps the scalpers sell the tickets on other sites? I thought they were selling them back to the Ticketmaster resale division. Yes, and that's what's going on because Ticketmaster wants to reap a second service charge which is based on the is a percentage of the face value of the ticket or and the face value of the resold ticket. So they sell the tickets to these guys uh, for the first time, charging whatever it is, uh, a percentage on the face value of the ticket. And then when it ends up on the secondary site, they charge another service charge, which is a percentage of the even larger scalper price. So while there's, they're on one side, they're saying we're against bots. On the other side, they might be facilitating bots. On one side, they, want, they say that they want to make sure that they get 
uh, tickets in the hands of fans. And then on the other side, it's a church and state, state, it's church and state separation, according to this, this report. Uh, they are helping people acquire vast sums of tickets that are automatically destined for the secondary market. So there has been uh, some some going back and forth between, you know, Ticketmaster's made a statement saying that this isn't the case and this guy misrepresented us. He's talking about the Ticketmaster guy at Trade Desk in Las Vegas. Uh, There are a couple of class action lawsuits being prepared, one in Canada out of Regina, another one from the United States. We'll probably see more around the world. This is a PR nightmare. Now, uh, a couple of, I guess it was last year, Ticketmaster approached me because what they wanted to do is have a, um, put a more human face on the company because up until now they've been this faceless monolith. You could never get anybody on the phone. You could never, you know, argue with them. It was just this, it it was this huge ticket selling monopoly. You had no choice but to dish out. Uh oh, hang on. Uh oh, hang on. Did you just done? No, just there. Am I back? Uh, 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 hang on here. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, you're back. But now I'm hearing. But now I'm hearing. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. What happened there? Um. Oh yeah, much better. Okay. Uh, what's what's happened here is uh, I'm in the desert. And uh, there is no humidity here whatsoever. And occasionally some static electricity builds up and, uh, and kills some connection. So I'm not going to touch anything lest <laughs> the whole thing blow up yet again. I, I was at CES one year and literally two minutes before I was set to go to air nationally, I got a nosebleed on the floor <laughs> of the CES convention. <laughs> Crew that I was with, they were all local. So they didn't even bat an eye. It was like they were ready for it. They had prepared for the eventuality that the Torontonian, who's accustomed to 82% humidity, would find himself bleeding from his orifices. <laughs> All right. Let me get back to my story about Ticketmaster. Yes. So uh, about a year ago, Ticketmaster decided that they want to put a more human face on who they are. Uh, they were tired of being this... A monolithic entity that nobody knew anything about. So they began reaching out to journalists, including people like me, and asking if you would, if I would be interested in interviewing executives from the company and uh, telling their story about how they're trying to be a good consumer-facing company. So I wrote a good article for the Globe and Mail. I did some interviews with uh, the head of Ticketmaster Canada. I did an interview at Canadian Music Week with the head of Ticketmaster Worldwide, and basically, you know, help let them get the word out on how they were doing things like uh, using machine learning and AI to block bots, how they were trying to make sure that they got hand tickets in the hands of fans and how, you know, basically that they were good corporate citizens. Oh, yeah. You, you're under a lot of pressure here yes. to uh, to address this whole Ticketmaster situation because we've talked about this in the past. Right. You had explained to me one point that Ticketmaster isn't the bad guy in the purchase scenario when you expect the tickets to be 100 bucks, and once the final tally comes in, they're almost double the price. But that's not what we're talking about here. No, there, there are two sides to the, to the situation here. There is the consumer-facing side, which is the one we've been talking about up until now. And I I'm still convinced that they do a pretty decent job in servicing their customers. But this other thing, they seem to be giving with one hand and taking away with the other, where they have this trade desk that is actually taking tickets away from consumers and putting them in a environment where you have to pay many, many times the face value. And basically, they're double dipping when it comes to 
taking service fees. So, okay, fine. The service fee on the face value of the original sale of the ticket, the primary sale, fine. I mean, that's how Ticketmaster makes their money. But then to take tickets and put it into a different pile and uh, basically sell the same, the same ticket twice at, uh, and, and reap a much, much higher service charge on the second and this is all premeditated. This is all designed. It really is quite stinky. And and Ticketmaster has issued uh, a variety of um, uh, statements saying that no, this isn't how it works. That guy misrepresented us. We are all interested in the in what's going on with with fans. Uh, so so I don't know how they're going to address this because um, they had made some progress. Again, putting this kinder, gentler face on the company on the consumer side, but then on the industrial side, you know, dealing with brokers, dealing with scalpers, this is a disaster for them. If they are denying the allegations as they're laid out when it was so clearly evident that the intent was to allow scalpers to resell their tickets through the Ticketmaster system that gave Ticketmaster a second kick at the can for pulling in a fee. Dude, fine. You know what, Ticketmaster? You don't address this. Don't deal with it. That's fine. We're going to let government organizations address this because the monopolistic practices that we're seeing here unfold at Ticketmaster are an absolute abomination. And if an organization doesn't step up and self-police, government organizations will be more than happy to fill that void. And the last thing Ticketmaster wants is to be broken up like the baby bell scenario that AT&T was back in the 80s with Ronald Reagan. Fine, you can continue your monopolistic practices. We'll take care of you for you. Right. So there's going to be consumer protection bureaus. There are going to be um, other government divisions that are going to be looking at this, wondering, you know, is this illegal? Okay, maybe it's not technically illegal, but is it's against their own terms of well, service? Yeah, but those are their terms of service. So, okay, so is is that fraud? Is, is okay, that, so, so uh, is it fraud or is it just hypocritical? Well, exactly. So this is going to have to be unpeeled very, very carefully. Uh, but you can bet organizations like you know the European Union are going to look at this, uh, and you're going to look at, uh, um, for example, in the UK where they provide there's a, there's there's legislation in the UK, and I think it's passed that provide for, and this is a quote, unlimited fines for what they call ticket touting. And that is basically scalping tickets. So if they find the Ticketmaster is touting their own tickets, wow. Louis C.K., who found himself very much against the Ticketmaster monopolistic practices and decided he was going to do things his own way. And it was remarkably successful. It's unfortunate that the example of a comedian doing really well doing an end run around Ticketmaster has to be Louis C.K. Yeah, yeah. I mean, up until just a few months ago, this would have been a fantastic thing to to champion and highlight. Now, yeah, not so much. But I wonder where it takes us in that next stage of any musician, comedian, performer broadly. What do you do? What can you do? Wasn't it the Red Hot Chili Peppers who railed against Ticketmaster for years? No. No, no, no. It was it was Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. Right. Sorry, it didn't 
testified before Congress. They they went on uh, this this big thing about how service fees were were killing their business because their young fans couldn't afford to buy tickets because of these fees. And ultimately, they tried to launch a tour using another ticket selling service, but it was a it was a failure. And now, if you want to go see Pearl Jam in concert, where do you get your tickets? Ticketmaster. Right. There was a two-year drought because of their fight that they ultimately lost. Yes, they did. So now, though, Ticketmaster... See, here's the other issue. Ticketmaster is owned by Live Nation. Live Nation is the biggest promoter of concerts in the world. And not only does Ticket uh, does Live Nation promote concerts, they also own venues. They own amphitheaters and, and have really sweet deals with other venues. Oh, does that explain why Pearl Jam couldn't get its act together, metaphorically speaking? Well, th- no. This was before Pearl Jam's act was in the 90s. Uh, t- uh, Live Nation bought Ticketmaster a lot later. So what's happening is the promotion company also controls the venues and the uh, the promotion company also controls the sale of tickets. So going back to this effort by Ticketmaster to become more human in the eyes of the public, um, they had to keep the share price up. They had to keep the profits rolling in. They had to make sure that their market share was uh, staying the same um, or growing. And uh, they did not want to risk any of that by having a growing revolt on behalf of customers. So this is my theory. This is why they wanted to become so much more cuddly than they had been up until now. But all that work has now been blown up. And um, has this made waves anywhere outside of Canada, considering it was a joint CBC Toronto Star investigation? Like I have seen stories uh, in the United States. I have seen stories in England. I have seen stories in Australia. So the question becomes, if you take an antitrust approach to this, where you break up a monopoly like Ticketmaster, which is a subdivision of Live Nation, which owns the venues, if you separate the ticket seller from the venue owner, that doesn't resolve this specific problem no it doesn't basically you have a company that's playing both ends against the middle and that's just symptomatic of maybe a larger issue this is just part of a huge empire that controls the live entertainment business or at least a large share of the live entertainment business and you're right you know the eu loves to look into antitrust situations and this could be a situation there are uh you know, governments like Ontario and BC and Alberta and Manitoba and, and New York and the UK that are, are looking into these you know ticket selling practices. This is not going to go over well. They've got a mess on their hands. When you look at the top five antitrust fines imposed by the European Union, all five of them are technology. Two out of the five of them are Google, and mm. Google has been fined a combined. billion over the last two years. Intel back in 2009 was fined one and a half billion, I I guess euros um, is what it would be. Uh, Qualcomm fined 1.2 billion. And then uh, on the fifth on the list was Microsoft, which was 794 million back in 2004. And that was tied to its monopolistic like approach to the browser. Yeah. And everybody is now absolutely terrified of what the European Union might might do to their monopolistic product. I mean, just ask Google. Google is is now this this right to forget thing uh, that's that's working its way through the courts in, in the EU, and uh, it's causing all kinds of issues. 
But you're in Vegas not because you're investigating this story. You're there for the Life is Beautiful Festival. Yeah, I have to explain this because there is a tech component to it. Uh, You remember, you know of Zappos, right? Zappos.com? No, what's Zappos.com? Zappos.com is an eco-conscious, socially conscious shoe company. Okay. And they have, uh, the, it was a big online presence. Your literal you know, carbon footprint. Your, <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. So they're based out of Las Vegas, and uh, they developed this really fervent following with their, with their product. And uh, the company was eventually sold to Amazon for $1.2 billion. One of the co-founders of this company is a guy named Tony Shea, and he took his money and bought an Airstream trailer and is living in a trailer park in downtown Las Vegas, which is the old Las Vegas with, you know, Fremont Street yes. and the Golden Nugget. Yeah, you do not want to be there after dark. It's away from the street. Y'all still want me to come with you? It is a decrepit part of Las Vegas, and it has fallen on really hard times. So Tony is living in an Airstream trailer. You're this this guy who's nearly a billionaire in the middle of, of this area. What he has done is he has bought up real estate in the downtown area. Quite a bit of it. A lot of empty lots, a lot of buildings, a lot of you know, you know abandoned buildings. And uh, for six years now, this is year six, he's put on something called the Life is Beautiful Festival. So what he does, what him and his people do, is they fence in 18 square blocks of downtown Las Vegas. And that becomes the footprint for a multi-stage, multi-day music festival. And the the fencing, you know, incorporates, uh, you know, existing restaurants, existing hotels, existing businesses. And is the fencing just to keep the cars out or something? No, the fencing is, that's that becomes the festival site. I see. So you've got to have your ticket to get through. That's right. Right. But uh, well, 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 hang on. This. What happens then if you know you've got a hotel that you need to get into in that part of town? Well, the, what's happened now is that life is beautiful has become so big that the hotels uh, are are not enough to handle the influx of people that come into the festivals. They're getting about fifty thousand people a day for this thing and the locals love it the hotels are full the restaurants are full i saw a guy on tv who has a barber shop he can't keep up with the foot traffic uh and this is bringing all kinds of new life to this part of las vegas which has again like i said fall, fallen on hard times and uh, the way the only way that this can be done is with somebody who owns all this real estate in the case of tony shea um he doesn't have to, permits he doesn't need any permits he owns it all and it's it's really cool because you know stages are set up in a, in in you know abandoned lots or parking lots and they bring in 200,000 square feet of sod from someplace and put that down so you don't have to sit on hot cement um, and they bring in artists from all over the world and paint big murals on the side of, of, of various structures. And there's like six years where they're murals now. Um, they have a main stage, a secondary stage, and a bunch of smaller stages. They have a big EDM tent. Uh, they have b-boy um, um, competitions. Uh, and it's it's absolutely the food trucks and there, there's a couple of uh, buildings down there that have been turned into comedy venues. You know, Hannib- uh, Hannibal Burris and Michelle Wolf and a whole bunch of other people have been performing. Hannibal Burris, meantime, very good comedian in his own right. Right, and this is all part of your festival admission. 
Uh, I mean, you have to pay for your food and pay for your booze. Sure. But uh, you get all these stages, uh, all these events. Uh, you can go and see the comedy stuff. You can enjoy the art stuff. There's all kinds of installations where you can, uh, you know, have a, a, a wild time. And, uh, you know, this is Las Vegas. So you would think... Okay, October the 1st is going to be the f- one-year anniversary since the Mandalay Bay shooting. Mm. That was the Route 91 festival with uh, Stephen yeah. Paddock. Okay, now that's across town. That's downtown. So I, was, I, I wanted to come to see because I knew about the Zappos connection. And how is Las Vegas going to handle a big festival, a big outdoor festival like this, in light of what happened last October? And what was the security like? Uh, invisible. Now, I did talk to a cop. And he says that you can't see them, but there were snipers in all the buildings, all the way around. And there are uh, undercover private um, uh, armed security in the crowd. You can't see them, but they're around. And look up, look way up. And at every, at any given time, there were two or three helicopters uh, circling the downtown area. And that was all surveillance. When we had the big Danforth shooting in Toronto this summer, I spent a lot of time on the Danforth. I live in the neighborhood. It happened about a block and a half away from me. And I was there for a taste of the Danforth, which was the big event that happened several weeks after the shooting. And I'm walking along, and there's a guy who looks like every dad. Just a dad. The only thing that caught me was the bushy mustache. But other than that, just looked like a dad. The only thing was, was he was standing in a group of other guys who looked exactly like him. Uh, just a dad. Yeah. And I can see he's directing the other dads, maybe six of them in a semicircle. And I'm like, those aren't dads out to enjoy the, the, the big event. These, these are cops. This is security. And sure enough, the prime minister showed up for the event, if I understand correctly. And so they needed all of the security. And they just fanned out into the crowd. Just these guys who just look like dads enjoying uh, gyros on the Danforth. It was really reassuring to see that once they stopped being in a group of six of them looking identical uh, in their casual clothes, that you would never have caught just one of them walking around. No, and they just melted away. Yeah. And that's apparently what we had here at uh, the Life is Beautiful Festival. Interesting that I went to see uh, Foster the People. They were one of the bands on on the big stage. Oh, you mean the pumped up kicks guys, the shooting guys? They didn't sing the song. I can't imagine they would. Yeah, we everybody's waiting. Are they going to sing it or are they not? Are they going to sing it or are they not? And 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 no, 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 they didn't. Instead, at the end, they brought some Cirque du Soleil performers out to do a rendition of the Beatles' Hey Jude. Uh, now, you are 15 minutes away from the, at the Palms Casino from the Neon Museum. Tell me you're going to go before you leave. I'm going to try and see it tonight. I'm supposed to go back to the festival tonight after doing the podcast. If I have an opportunity, I will. They, I have been on uh, the junket of all junkets. I have eaten so much food. <laughs> that and it just kept like we went to a t- pl- you're gonna need to buy that new apple watch series for just for the ekg machine uh, I, we are i went to a place today called uh evil pie and it's owned by evil Knievel's son and uh, there were 10 of us and they brought so much pizza so many meatballs so many shots of tequila so many other drinks and these little timbit type things that were still hot out of the oven and that was just one meal. I mean, the amount of food that I have ingested is just insane. Oh, one other thing that I want to mention about the Life is Beautiful Festival, just a uh, kind of a neat uh, um, 
sidebar, as I'm watching um, Foster the People, wondering if they're going to play Pumped Up Kicks, across town at the T-Mobile Arena, Jason Aldean is performing. Jason Aldean was the guy who was singing when Stephen Paddock opened fire on the crowd last October. So... uh, you know, we're at the Life is Beautiful Festival and he's singing, you know, in a somber sort of way because he was there when uh, 58 people were shot. You do know that in Vegas, weed is legal, right? No kidding. I mean, all the dispensaries, they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else? I got no, I mean, nothing. What, what are you suggesting? Well, I, I'm just saying you, you've got an advantage. You could uh, get a jump start on legalization in Canada if you want. I just don't recommend you do any interviews after ingesting. That's a very good idea. I know that there are uh, there's several not too far away from where I am uh, that are open uh, 24-7. And they make, you know, they say medical and recreational marijuana available 24-7. So um, Vegas is I've never spent any time any this is the first time i've spent like an extended time in vegas this is a weird place this is very, it really is. very very weird and um if we end up coming back here for ces in january uh there's a bunch of things that we're going to do that we're going to regret awesome i'm looking forward to it london paris new york toronto from high atop the marconi tower in downtown toronto this is a GNB News Update. I want to say thank you to TJ Webb, who is this week's co-producer on The Big Show. Thank you, TJ. Appreciate it. Very much so. Uh, he uh, shelled 25 bucks to support The Big Show as uh, co-producer. He gets his name on the album art, which he can then print off, frame, and hang in his parents' basement. So, TJ, thank you for supporting us via Patreon, geeksandbeats.com. Uh, you click on the Support the Show link, and you can help us out. You can just be a member of the World's Worst Intern Program if you don't want to be a co-producer. What makes it the world's worst is you pay us a buck to work on the show, don't do any actual work, and we just say thank you uh, via the show. But we've also done some thing for the interns and the co-producers that we uh, haven't done in the past, which which actually we have done in the past, which is we give away stuff, but only to the staff. Right. So we've got this BlackBerry Key 2 smartphone that we're going to give away. And um, the only way that you can win it is by being a member of the World's Worst Intern Program. And for every dollar per episode you donate to the show, we will put one digital raffle ticket into the virtual bin. And so we want to say thank you to Ash Chopra, who clearly wants the key too, because he's just donated a hundred bucks. Wow! Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks for the support. I okay. He's obviously a hardcore BlackBerry fan. Very good. The neat thing about it is that uh, it's BlackBerry-based, but it's Android-powered, which means you'll get all of the apps in that ecosystem on your BlackBerry device with the keyboard that is 20% larger than the original BlackBerry keyboard. They've improved it dramatically, and they built the fingerprint reader right into the keyboard. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Jimmy Wright um, uh, donated 25 bucks uh, to be a co-producer on the big show as well. So we want to say thank you uh, for that. Tyler Bergsma pledged a buck, as did Phil. So thank you so much for uh, helping us out on the big show. All that cash gets plowed right back into the program. As Alan had uh, suggested, uh, we are planning to be at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January. It is not going to be a cheap endeavor. So uh, anything you do to help the show will uh, certainly go a long way. And if you do want this BlackBerry, uh, the more you support the show the more likely it is you win uh have you you haven't bought the new iphone yet have you 
uh, no, I am not going to pay the equivalent of my first car for the, the new device, just not yet. Although I did, as I mentioned uh, last week, shell out the $750 for the Series 4 with cellular Apple Watch. And you know what's occurred to me in hindsight about three hours before we started the episode? What? That if this is Series 4, that means that the next Apple Watch, a year from now, is going to be an absolute leapfrog beyond what we've got right now. Why? So think about all the problems that exist in the existing Apple Watch. Uh, primarily battery life yeah. and the screen. I can't imagine Series 5 will have the same battery problems and will have the same screen issues. Like One issue that someone had mentioned that they would really like to have seen resolved was they want an always-on screen. You can't have an always-on screen on an Apple Watch. It would chew up the battery life. But what if you change the screen technology? What if you improve the battery quality, yada, yada, yada? It's my prediction that while I spent the 750 bucks on Series 4, that I am going to prove to be a sucker because Series 5 is going to be a whole new reimagining of the device. Okay, now let me back up. I have Series 1. You went from 1 to 4. Do you notice a difference? It won't arrive until 28th oh, you have, of September. Oh, you don't have it yet. Okay. I got the notification that, um, no, it won't be October 10th, as we had initially told you. It'll be September 28th, which is awesome. I'm happy to hear that. I'm curious as to why it was so much sooner than they had initially anticipated. Well, we'll be able to talk about it now in the next podcast. Precisely. Okay. Uh, and next episode, we'll get into as well uh, the iOS 12 update for your Apple devices and why this is absolutely awesome if you're a parent of a tween like me. Yeah, I'm getting those notifications right now. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm uh, I'm ashamed. Oh, gee, I don't know what you're talking about, but now stay tuned. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes and watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.